0: I didn't just want wealth. I didn't just want financial freedom. I needed financial freedom. If I didn't get out of this mess of financial struggle and worry every day of my life, a part of me would die. And I knew that by 30, so I set that as a goal. And really, when you set a goal like that, I mean, the next 20 years, just fill up with the kind of activities that that earns that kind of goal. So at the age of 49, I retired then. I reached a pretty big goal of financial freedom. I did set a big number for that.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 145. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world?
2: Good, doing well. We just finished two interviews here uh, tonight, so I have another couple fun interviews coming up. We interviewed a guy who came over to the States in high school and lost a job, right? Kind of bounced around schools, lost a job, ended up homeless, and then was able to to find a job and now he's just reached millionaire status. So that'll be a fun interview. Also interviewed a, a solid guy from out west who has some real estate and, and also has a corporate job and has, has built it up on the side. So I'm doing well. Some interesting things coming up at the show too.
1: Yeah, I, I must say right now, just given the, the interviews we've done during the pandemic, I'm probably more stoked. With our pipeline of of interviewees and guests that we'll be releasing over the next several months, than probably ever before in the in the history of the show. And you know, with that, we've had some great response. You know, just in the last couple weeks and even the month, uh, with people writing in and and you know wanting to be on the show and guests and other people, listeners, fans of the show, and and ideas and everything. And we appreciate all those insight. And and obviously, you know, we've got the website here. It's been a long, long, long project. Uh, that that we'll be getting all ready and some new things. So, a lot of exciting things happening in the MU world. You know, we were talking a little bit before the show. There's this article running around on Forbes right now, pretty recent, called Why College is Never Coming Back. We've got all sorts of people all over the country right now deciding what they're going to do with their schools, whether they're going to come back or not, whether it's going to be in person, whether it's going to be on Zoom or how it's going to be. And uh, let me just read a couple excerpts from this it said, here's some great news. One of America's most broken industries is finally being exposed as a sham and make no mistake, the end of college as we know it is a great thing. And it goes in to describe, you know, all the different uh, colleges and, and how much money it costs and everything else. And and the conclusion is basically, hey, look, you know, there's going to be a lot of colleges that, that don't make it through this pandemic. Your schools, your top schools like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, they're always going to attract kids and, and have huge tuition. But for a lot of them, as the, the author calls a standard issue of degrees for tens of thousands of dollars, they're basically... You know, looked at as the new department stores.
2: Yeah, I think I'm with him in the last paragraph of that article. He mentions the big ones are going to stick around, but all the, the smaller ones that, you know, you don't, you don't, maybe don't hear about as often. But, and I, also I think the shift to community college is going to happen at some point, right? I think people, people are going to be able to just get education cheaper and maybe the discrepancy in the quality of education between a, a community and a lesser known college,
1: right? Gap yeah, starts to, to lessen a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I think most people agree that the cost of college tuition has just gotten nearly out of control in most places. I mean, they always say, Hey, look, there's always scholarships. There's all these in-state things. If you go in-state and you know, there's all these programs for you to do get your education cheaper but at the end of the day, the, the cost of tuition is, is skyrocketed, you know, relative to a lot of other things, but, you know, in, in, in terms of inflation and everything. And You've got a lot of companies out there. I mean, I think Elon Musk just said, like, I want to hire people for my AI team. And I don't even care if they graduate high school. He just wants people that have the skill set. So as we see more and more of that from some of these tech companies who seem to have a significant influence, do some of these liberal arts colleges, do some of these other schools – you know, become almost non, you know, obsolete, if you will. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be licensure for certain professions. You know, I think you think a doctor, I mean, you don't want a doctor operating on you that skipped college, right? Or skipped training in one way or another. <laughs> I mean, that that's...
2: I just went to the community college down the street. You go, yeah. It's like
1: that commercial, right? You
2: ever seen that commercial where he like walks in, I can't remember what it was for and he, the doctor walks in, he's like, oh, I just got reinstated. Like, you good with that?
1: Yeah, and the guy, yeah.
2: The guy's like, just sits up in his
1: bed all nervous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, 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 there's lots of different things. And I think, you know, some of these trainings, whether it's medical or something else, obviously evolve over time. And one of those is, is formal education, higher education and skill set as it relates to technology. You know, we always say that 10 years ago, you know, majority of the jobs didn't even exist that exists today. And I think at the speed that we are are moving in the economy and the world and technology in general, I mean, it seems ever more than maybe it's not a decade, maybe it's five years that some of these jobs and skills that you might've learned in school, you know, five years ago are, are, are irrelevant. And so do we see a shift just in general in, in the education sector as a whole? It'll be interesting to see and, and watch as this pandemic plays out and as some of these, call them tier two, tier three, you know, schools uh, maybe don't survive.
2: Yeah, and the other the other thing that could take it there is is everything being more digital and more technology-based, right? I yeah. mean, some of these, you could, you could have more, like you used to have, I mean, you still do have, but it used to be more popular to go to trade schools, right? To become a plumber or welder for some of these more blue-collar jobs, but now... You could have, spe- I mean, you have coding schools, right? Yep. And those are be- yep. those are becoming popular. Whereas fifteen twenty years ago, it wasn't really talked about as much. Yeah. So I think I think the technology stuff could really change the traditional model as well. But anyway, just something interesting uh, interesting article we came across.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I know I wish I would have spent a couple more years in school learning accounting instead of studying whatever they else, other all the other classes they made me. Anyway, last week we had Chris Hogan. He graciously donated two Everyday Millionaire books and one retired inspired book. Thank you to all of those who responded to the giveaway. We had more entries than we'd ever had before for a giveaway, so we thank you for that. Those that have won have been notified. On today's show, we have John. John has a net worth of $5.4 million. He has a majority of his net worth in real estate. John's journey started with the book Think and Grow Rich when he was super young. He started out as a chiropractor with typical student debt and worked in that profession for many years. He talks about not being able to pay for a pizza as he struggled in his 20s and early 30s. He ended up reaching financial at freedom at forty nine and then retired. And when he retired he wrote a book with his son or for his son called The Wealthy Gardener. It's going to be a great episode with John. Once again, we've got several multifamily opportunities in the pipeline. If you're interested, reach out to us, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, we appreciate all those tuning in week after week. If you enjoyed the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. Helps us grow the show and continue to reach new millionaire interviewees. Without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with John. John, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now?
0: Absolutely, Jace. Um, A little bit about my background is I'm just a a guy that grew up in the middle class, small town Pennsylvania. I went to a Catholic grade school to a Catholic high school. Uh, I was just like every other middle class kid outside of Pittsburgh growing up. I had a, a, a book I read at the age of 20 that changed me from every other middle class kid growing up. The book was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that was really the start. I look at that as the start of my journey toward financial freedom. Uh, It exposed me to a whole philosophy of success that was unlike anything we ever see from our culture in the middle class. And it exposed me to bigger possibilities, quite frankly. Um, I learned a lot about it the education and financial achievement, but still I had to stuff suffer. I went into my 20s. I graduated from a chiropractic college at the age of 24. I graduated with $200,000 worth of student loans in today's dollars. I worked that practice for four years. I sold it, moved across the country. I set up another practice from scratch. I I worked that one. In the same decade, we got married. We had two kids. The kids had colic. And when I look back at that decade, it was just tired. We're tired. We're weary. We're financially stressed. And there was times we didn't know how to pay for a pizza. And it was just a good decade to be over. Uh, So we got through the 30s, uh, the 20s, I mean, somehow. A lot of financial struggle. By the time I hit 30, I just knew concrete. I knew exactly what I needed. I I didn't just want wealth. I didn't just want financial freedom. I needed financial freedom. If I didn't get out of this mess of financial struggle and worry every day of my life, a part of me would die. And I knew that by 30, so I set that as a goal goal. And really, when you set a goal like that, I mean, the next 20 years, just fill up with the kind of activities that you keep that that earns that kind of goal. So at the age of 49, I reached a pretty big goal of financial freedom. I did set a big number for that. I retired then from uh, the chiropractic business. I retired then from a lot of other businesses that I kind of got myself into. Well, I could just say one other. And then I went down to the basement and I wrote my own book. You know, there's a lot of learning going on. And I wrote a book uh, for my son. He was just about ready to graduate from uh, college himself. And it was just very, very important to me that as he comes out in the world He's not going to suffer quite as much as me. I think as parents, we all have that feeling where we want to pass something down to the next generation. And I might have done that in a little more unique way than most. But I basically wrote a book over three years. He and I wrote it together uh, called The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. We published it. It became a bestseller. It sold to foreign uh, countries. And now Penguin took it over. And here we are. So that's the overview of my story.
1: Wow, and and we'll get more into your story, John. But first, I, I kind of want to get into your net worth. Where are you sitting today?
0: <laughs> you know, I would whenever we got ready for this, I would say that uh, I had to, I had to dig into it. You know, sometimes you lose track, and so yes, so I was saying we're at five point four million right now. That's wow. what it looked like when I went on the net worth. Yeah,
1: and and what's the breakup of that f- five million? I'm almost exclusively
0: real estate. You might as well look at it like that because the money that's parked on the sidelines is waiting for real estate. You know, so I'm, I consider myself a hundred percent in for real estate. Um, I was after a passive income, to be honest with you. It was, I wasn't looking for a, you know, a bunch of gold for a flow of river. My goal was to uh, have a passive income of $220,000 every year. I wanted that. I set that goal at 30 when I was dead broke. I reached that goal at thir- 49 and I retired so to me it was all about passive income and I know we talk about net worth and that's a great way to to chart and track things but I was always had my eye on the the river how much passive is coming to me that was always my number
1: Yeah I think you bring up an interesting point there you know we we kind of get into this discussion net worth and our and our podcast is is built on it and a lot of times you know maybe we lose the boat really what we're looking at is what kind of stream is that going to create and it's just part of the scorecard That that we can use as a finite number, but but you're right. Like that two twenty is kind of what gave you that financial freedom. It's not necessarily that five million, right?
0: Absolutely, but I will I'll I'll agree with you. The net worth is the number because you can chart the stupidity or the the value of your choices based on a net worth. It's really indicative of your day to day decisions. So. Absolutely. That's a good barometer for us to, to have in front of our eyes all the time. You know, you, you buy a swimming pool, you take a, a house, a home equity loan to do it. You know, you, you start to see how those things work. Net worth is an excellent thing to do. I just wasn't going to live on net worth. I saw in my, in my middle class and where I was coming from, I couldn't earn enough money. I didn't think to actually live on, uh, to, I couldn't create a stream from my from my savings from the amount of money I can save the number of five point four million. that has a lot to do with real estate and you know buying distressed properties and fixing them up. And there's a lot to that that's not just like grabbing money at the end of the day from your nine to five job and throwing it into stocks. I couldn't have done it that way. I wasn't earning that kind of money.
1: yeah, we're we're going to get into some of that too. but so you do have some liquid, is that correct? It's not one hundred percent real estate?
0: Yes, exactly. I have. 800,000 uh, sitting on the sidelines, not knowing exactly what to do with it right now.
1: And do you put that into the market or is that just straight cash?
0: It is a federal money market account, maybe. Okay. Um, it's sitting on the sidelines over there with my brokerage uh, company there. Yeah. So I can, it can go in, in instantly, but it's sitting there on the sidelines and it's, it's not as bad as a money market, but it's close, you know? So, you know, that's the question. Like is money on the sidelines really a terrible idea? You know, everybody says, you gotta, you gotta get in. Well, you gotta get it in when it's a good price. Yeah. I'm, I'm for you there, but what if we're, what if we don't know what to buy right now? You know, this is kind of a difficult, difficult time for us to know when to buy and what to buy. And what an interesting day to talk about this, right? With the markets.
1: Ex- exactly. And I, you know, I, I was telling Clark earlier, I'm I'm very happy. I've got a bunch of cash right now sitting on the sidelines, right? I think anyone who does would be. Granted, I've got enough market exposure too, but it's an interesting conversation. You don't even ride that wave and you never have really, correct?
0: Oh, I wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it. I was, I wasn't all into, uh, rental real estate forever. In fact, you guys are CPAs and you'll love this story because I was getting my rental real estate going. I was starting to see how, you know, it's starting to work. It's starting to snowball through the 2000s. Like after the around the around 2006, I'm starting to see the value of putting money into a flip and getting money back. And all of a sudden, boy, I'm earning 30% on a four month you know, a period of time on my money. I'm starting to see how it works in my business. And I will tell you this I went in, all in in 2007. I saw I had a better use for my money than in the market, and I'm staring at that. I'm getting, I'm running out of money to invest, and so I'm looking at my 401k, and I'm looking at my Roth, and I'm looking at my wife's 401k and my wife's Roth, and I'm thinking of what I can do outside of here. And like we talked previously, my 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 accountant's a stud, just one of the smartest, brilliant guys I know. I didn't tell him. Basically, grabbed all that money. I took it out. I took my penalties. And I started using it for my rental real estate because I had a place for it. You know, it's not like I grabbed it and went on a a, a ship tour. I could put that money to work and I thought I could get 30% returns on that money. So I could have a rational excuse for it. But man, I'll tell you what, the gods were were really shining on me because I took it out in August of 2007. Just go back there and and look at the stock market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean by the time I told my accountant the stock market had lost more than 30% and so he couldn't really b- too much to me right <laughs> <laughs> his head wanted to blow off but I come on saying but dave look it's I actually I took my penalties but it's not as bad as what I, if I would have left it in and so
2: it was beautiful how much did you pull out how much was in there I would say there was probably
0: 210 total all over the place in different funds. And whenever that breaks down to, I mean, 30% penalties and all that kind of pain, you know, I had a place for it where I could see it earning a lot of money and multiplying and actually multiplying that money over the next four years. So it wasn't as dumb and crazy as it sounds. People think that you're a risk taker when you do stuff like that. Well, you're a risk taker if you don't know what you're doing. But, you know, I had a pretty good history by then. So it felt safe to me.
2: So let me just you guys were just talking about this briefly. We're recording this March 9th, 2020. It'll it'll launch much after that. So we're right in the middle of this coronavirus stuff. Right. The last month, the S&P is down almost 19 percent, I believe. Does it make you want to put some of that money in or do you think it's going to keep dropping? I guess the question is, does where the market's at today, does it make you want to go back into the equities or, or not so much? you know, my, my problem
0: is I've been through these things before and I've done this where you, you start putting, okay, yeah, look at this. It's 20% down. Good time to go in. Right. So you start putting a little bit of money in, you start dollar cost averaging. Well, it can continue to tank on you, man. And you can, all of a sudden you're just, you're out of money and it's still going down. So right. no, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, I would say that, I can't help it. I mean, everybody has a certain mindset going into the market, and I'm just not good for the market. Like, that's, I think, the value of having an accountant. The value of an accountant or a financial, uh, you know, help is that people like me who want to pull the trigger really quick and get the hell out of there and run with their money, you'll have like a barrier between that emotion and the action when you have somebody that's working with you. I'm not good for it. Uh, I can tell you, I like control. I don't like the idea that somebody sneezes and. All of a sudden, Apple stock is less. Uh, it's not for me, but uh, I see that a lot of people you know, do a lot of things and for me, I used my money in a business that doesn't look appealing to a lot of other people because this, you know, rental real estate is not an asset class to me. It's really a, it's really a side business. So,
2: there, you're totally right there because there's people that say I don't want to invest in the market because I can't control it, and then there's people that say I don't want to do rental real estate because I don't wanna, I don't want the job and I don't want to deal with the headache, right? And I don't want to receive calls when I'm on vacation. So you know, you know, we you hear them both.
0: A- you got to make a decision, and that decision is you're going to choose worry or you're going to choose work. Take your pick,
2: and I chose work. Yeah, and then the other thing with the market is for the last week or two, right, people have been saying, oh, it's such a buying opportunity. It's dropped. It's down 5%, right? Oh, my heavens, it's down 8%. Buy, buy, buy. Dollar cost in every day, and now you're down 18. I know, Right. And so, I mean, you never know. You, you never well,
0: know. that's that's when you turn the TV off. And they, you know, they call them the marketeers, you know, shouting, 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 making, you know, we're all watching. They're talking the words like plummet. Uh, I can't take it. I I yeah. need to have some control of my life. And and I realize smarter people than me are in the market. But knowing my personality, I'm, I can handle the work. I can handle the stress of real estate. I'm not a good worrier.
2: Yeah. So I want to dive into the real estate, obviously, because it's such a, it's majority significant, right? Almost all of your portfolio, but just backing up real quick before we do, how did this all get started? You kind of alluded to it at the beginning. You had $200,000 in student loan debt. Wh- when did that moment come? Was there a moment? Was there a year? I know you said later in your twenties, right? Where you're talking about you couldn't scrape together money to buy a pizza. When did that moment come for you? And you said, I've got to figure it out and I'm going to be financially independent or I'm going to, I'm going to do this a different way. One of the
0: worst days of my life, I've sat for an entire day beside a tombstone in a cemetery. I was 30 years old. It was a sunny day. Went for a walk, sat down beside my grandfather's tombstone. I sat there thinking that I just gave the last 10 years of my life trading my hours for dollars. And while you know I kept the roof over our head, I had nothing to show for it. And I just couldn't. Uh, that was the day that I, I, I really realized how I could be a wage slave for the rest of my life. I'll never forget that day, and the reason I say that is because I was sitting beside the tombstone of my grandfather. My grandfather was a coal miner. You know, we're from Western Pennsylvania. He went down into a hole every day, came out ten hours later dirty. He did that for 40 years, and you know what? He died of black lung disease, and he left his family in absolute poverty. And he gave his life. He had a responsible life. Uh, He took care of his kids. He did everything was, you know, he did the proper thing, the responsible thing. But the sad thing is. He turned down a Major League Baseball offer when he was 20. He decided to do the right thing to help his family. There wasn't any money in baseball back then. But then he went into the coal mines and he gave 40 years of his life to die and to die broke. And I said, you know what? I just felt a camaraderie right there that day. And I said, "There's, I'm going to do the responsible thing, too. I'm also going to take care of my family. But there's no way. There's no way I'm going to end like that. I'm going to change the story of our of our family. And our family's not gonna just live an expensive lifestyle where we spend what we get. Our family is gonna overcome finances. We're gonna we're gonna attack this financial condition and we're gonna win. That was that was my goal. I felt a I felt a resolve that day that was a before and after in my life and that's when I really made you know people talk about mindset they talk about uh having confidence and determination and pers- persistence I think a moment comes where you're changed and that was my day of being changed I wasn't that kid in the 20s anymore that was going to take this crap anymore I was going to I was going to set out and yeah it, my life did take off in that direction uh, rental real estate became a big part of it because I wasn't earning enough money to save enough you know, and retire. So I had to pursue the – if it was more work, it was more work. My kids were going to see me sacrifice. I pursued real estate, and it got me there by the age of 50. And I I should say this. It got my kids out of college as well without any student debt along the way. So they would have a much better start than me. And so that's what rental real estate did to me.
2: Well, thank you. First of all, I appreciate you sharing that. So you're 30 years old at that time, right? What were you making?
0: I was always making, in terms of income, probably about $110,000. That's – that's the average income of an average chiropractor. I was an average chiropractor. However, a family of four, my wife is staying home with the kids. We were consuming a good portion of that. So at the end of a month, you know, we're we're talking about saving a thousand dollars, five hundred bucks, or nothing at all. You know, it was tough, and so I needed to put the pedal down. After that, I would say after that time, we talked right there uh, about that day in the in the cemetery. That was a pivotal day for me. I put the pedal down. I got determined in the next five years, I always say that you can transform your life in the next five years. I did start adding twenty twenty hours of my free time to real estate. I would go around, I'd look at houses, and that's how you get started. you know you I could borrow money, I could do whatever I wanted. I could do things like that just to get the ball rolling, but then it can it can start rolling pretty quickly too. so, I put the pedal down in my chiropractic clinic, and I started increasing a lot more. I got that up to $220,000 after five years just by working like an ox and working until wow. 10, 10 o'clock at night. And then I was investing on in my free time. So that's what happens when you change your mindset, sit a cemetery all day and say, not for me. I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to live that life. Wow.
2: wow. And then you retired from your chiropractic job at, at what age? 49,
0: 49, 49. years old.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that day after you, after you sat there and you kind of came to that realization, did you know it was going to be real estate or did you just say I got to figure out what it's going to be and I'm going to figure out how to do it?
0: I suspected it would be real estate because you know there's I suspected real estate. My parents had a couple of duplexes. I'm aware of the numbers in this area. We're in a rural area. It's it's not gonna be like glamorous by by stores and that kind of. It's, we're nice by nature here. We have a we have a beautiful area. And the gold in these mountains is the is the rental real estate. I'm aware of that. Like we have a good rent to buy ratio here. It's very rare and. I was aware of that all along. So if I if I wanted to put the pedal down on anything, I, I didn't know how I would take off in real estate. I didn't know how I'd be so well suited to it. But I did realize that was the opportunity sitting right in front of my face, should I want it. So yeah, I, I went into it thinking that.
2: So then walk me through here. How did it how did it start, and maybe your first deal or two?
0: Okay, first of all, pedal down. I I'm increasing myself from 110 thousand up to 220 thousand. First deal is me walking uh, into about 20 houses with a realtor. And I'm trying like hell to pretend like I know what I'm doing, but I really did. I I approached this like a business. I approached this like I went to school and I, I knew I had an accounting system set up before I even bought my first one. I walked into one of these houses, these foreclosures after the first 20. And all of a sudden it jumps out at you. Like, there's nothing wrong with this one. Like in every other one you walk through, you gain the experience of seeing what's wrong with rentals. And when you walk into one, there's nothing wrong with, huh? So I, I'm looking and looking and looking. And I'm, I'm baffled. I guess this is the one we buy. But still, it, I bought it for thirty-eight thousand dollars, and my hands shook and I had sweat coming off of me, and it was it was terrible. And now I can buy you know three hundred thousand dollar properties, and I don't feel that way. I don't even, don't even have to tell my wife now. But uh, back then, it <laughs> just about killed me. That's, that's the truth of it. And, and
2: what, like, what was that? Uh, uh two single, how many bedrooms, how many baths?
0: Two bedroom, two bath. Two, uh, two. Sitting, yeah. But you know, being the idiot I am, I, I moved in the first drug dealer that called on the phone, and they trashed the unit, and I'm down four thousand after one one year. So here we go. So did uh, you
2: did you pay all cash for it? I
0: would, yeah, I went in, in all cash, and then I would fix it up with more cash, and then I would refinance out. Right. So let's say I go in with thirty eight thousand, I put twelve into it, now I'm at fifty. So. I can go to the bank. The thing will would, I think the thing would appraise for eighty thousand at that point. That's what you're looking for, that that rare one that will appraise up, right? It's mispriced. Just like a stock. And so I can go in and get a get a loan. I can bring that loan back, refinance, get my money back, and go on to the next one. And that's that's how the ball starts rolling right there for me.
2: And what did that rent I mean, maybe you don't remember particularly that one, but what do you kind of look for? How much did that rent for? How much did it net after a mortgage payment? You know what I
0: well after a mortgage payment? I never With mortgage and with financing, I never would accept twenty-five percent, less than twenty-five percent around here. Never. Cash on cash, we can get twelve to fourteen percent. Like let's say we have no mortgage and we have no loans, we have nothing like that. We're going in my cash in and my cash out. We're looking at twelve to fourteen. And it should be like that. It should be much greater than stocks because it's it's more of a pain to you. It's it's not passive. You know, it's it's actually work. So it should you should make more. But I would say that with I've never bought a property in this area with financing where I didn't have at least 25 to 30 at least percent return.
2: Yeah. So just maybe for somebody who's not familiar cash on cash, right? Let's just call it a hundred thousand dollars you put into something. If you're expecting 12 or 14% cash on cash, it means you expect twelve thousand or fourteen thousand back annually, and then if you lever that, so you buy something worth a hundred thousand, but you only put seventy thousand down, right? You can earn twelve or fourteen thousand dollars a month, and so your returns, your returns increase and your cash on cash increases because you're putting less cash into the deal. So now, John, big picture here, what's your portfolio, your real estate portfolio like?
0: I have a hundred and ten units. Uh, they're mixed all between those first uh, single families and duplexes that I buy. I have a thirty unit. Ten unit, a little bit of everything, honestly. And what I'm trying to do is just, I'm trying to get away from the harder ones, you know, the, the tougher neighborhoods, the the farther away properties, and I'm buying properties that are closer to my house. So I'm slowly easiness into an easier transition of a business. But it's and, a little
2: bit of everything. And do you self manage all of that?
0: Yeah, it's it's I do, and it's so not as hard. It's not, units. As, it's not as hard as you think. Uh, you know, people people that work full time jobs, you know, they they're put in 40 to 50 hours. This when you when you get this rule in right and you, and keep in mind when we talk about rental real estate I always think we're talking about the same thing and we might be talking about twenty different things you know somebody might buy junkers somebody might buy really glamorous ones somebody might, I have really good, I have good properties I have solid ones that are in demand you know so therefore I can get the good tenants therefore it's a much easier deal for me I have very few people that I wouldn't invite over to Thanksgiving that's the kind of prop, uh, properties I have so because I have that it's much easier deal and so yeah I can. I can manage myself. Uh, I did buy the thirty unit so that I can move in uh, a secretary up there, and she's going to take care of all the paperwork, and wow. that's that's in the transitions. So yeah, th- I bought that one. Not even looking for a profit. I look. I bought that one looking to employ people with the profit. <laughs>
2: John, that's pretty unusual. You got to admit that you're buying fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar houses, or forty, right? Thirty-eight thousand dollar house on your first one, and there and they're all people that you get along great with, right?
0: You know something in, in real estate? The, the only thing anybody anybody out there thinking about getting in real estate, just write this down. The only thing you can control is who goes in that house. Once they're in that house, you're not one hundred percent in control anymore. And so, yeah, because I have the uh, luxury now of of some excess cash flow, I can sit on a property forever. I used to be stupid and try to rush somebody into that property. They might, they might be marginally good. They might not be. You know what happens is you get them into that first month and you feel this sense of joy. You celebrate. The place isn't vacant now. It's like, well, guess what? That person comes out. They stuck you for the last three months of rent. They left the place like a pigsty. And all of a sudden you're down $2,000. It's so no 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 I'm, I I hold off I only bring in the good people I will keep those places vacant forever if I wanted to and they never stay you know because I have good places
2: you have nice clean mm-hmm. places and what is it what is it what is your average one or or two bedroom apartment or house rent for a uh, single family house or a duplex yeah so let's do a single family
0: I would say a two bedroom in our area would go for about seven hundred single family house about seven hundred rent mm-hmm. some people would tell you more but they're but again, you're talking about the market determines that far more sure, than sure. we do. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You can you can make it 850, but they'll be out real quick. Or you can make it 700, and they might last five years. And so, what's the better deal? You'll find out that there's a sweet spot that keeps them there the longest, but doesn't give it to them. You know, so you're always looking for that sweet spot.
2: Yeah. So, real estate value total. What what's the value of all that real estate? <laughs> you know what? When when you guys were asking about this, <laughs>
0: your are CPAs, and I'm like I'm like, man. <laughs> I feel like I'm going into my account in here. I know. Uh, I know. So, so this is a terrible thing. I, I went to my computer. I looked for my my cell, and the thing disappeared. I don't even know where it is. It's so I think that it got erased, and I have to go through my whole no, night worth good. thing again.
2: Let's do it this way. Are you levered at all? How levered are you?
0: Three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. I have uh, on my thirty unit, but the That's u- all. thirty the thirty units worth uh, yeah, a million. or so but. Uh, yeah. Everything but $800,000 is in real estate. You know That's so what I know.
2: So are, are, you, are you not levered because you've chosen to not take out loans at all when you purchase these properties? Or is it because you've owned a lot of them for a long time and you've been able to pay off that loan and have just chosen not to refinance out of it?
0: No, I could not have bought this many properties without leverage. You know, so people talk, you know, I know there's different views on this. If you're, you know, Debt can burn down your house or it can warm your house if you contain it in a fireplace. You know, it's just like a fire. I, you know, I get it. I was very, I'm a very disciplined person. I'm, you know, I like the accountants. We think alike so that I can control debt well. So no, I maxed out as much debt as I possibly could. And I understand that flies into the face of a lot of people who are conservative, but I was very conservative with my debt too. You know, so I could have never grown. I mean, to, to put that kind of money in initially, I'd be broken two houses right, o- right on the front. You know, on the front end of this.
2: So, does it make you want to refi out and buy more? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, Let's say that I
0: I sometimes say it like this: If you're, I'm not the richest guy in the world, but I am far richer than I need to be. I say that if you're sitting at a buffet and you have all the food you want, well, what what are you fighting for three more plates for? You can't even eat what you have. Like I have right now, I have a river coming to me of twenty thousand dollars a month. That was my goal, and my family lives on. Eighty thousand a year. And so there, there comes a point when, uh, you know, you're you're smart to be able to do this, but it takes wisdom to know when it's done and then you can move on to better things. Like I would have never had time to write for three, year, three years, 50 hours a week, writing a book called The Wealthy Gardener that became a bestseller. I would never have time to do that if I didn't know when the time when it was time to put on the brakes. You have to know when you've reached your goal, and, wh- and you got to know your why. It's important that okay, I want this money, but why do you want it? I want this money so I can have uh, time freedom, so that I can you know protect my family. Okay, check, check, check. I think I got that. What do you want time freedom for? I think I'd like to have a book. I think I'd like to write a book to my son. I think I can do that. I think I could combine everything I've ever learned in my whole life, put it in a book, and I think it could benefit him. And that's those are the kind of things that are your gifts when you win this thing called financial freedom. You can now do what you want, and you're going to find that chasing these rainbows isn't enough. The unoccupied hours isn't enough. You're going to want purpose. You're going to want meaning. That's what That's what human beings are wired for.
1: Johnny, you gotta admit, this is this is pretty crazy. So you got this big portfolio, you manage it. How do you deal with traveling or leaving or do you leave? What's kind of the situation there? You know what?
0: We're we're so spoiled, right? My parents never had a cell phone. So, like now I get a text from a tenant. They say, toilet clog, let's let's say. Well, I grab that text and I forward it to my to a handyman. I have five of them on deck, right? I'll see who's available right now. It's about that easy. The only thing I have to watch out for is whenever I'm sending out, I send out this this massive number of um, of invoices start of the week and, and start of the month. And sometimes I, I get those in the mail. I would say for the old people, they send them in the mail. So I have to be around to get those in the bank. But 80% of my people, 80% of my tenants, it's just auto withdrawal. So it's just automatic. It's really easy with a website. It's really easy with, with phones to not get overwhelmed you can do a lot of things efficiently
1: yeah I think it's pretty remarkable that that you built this portfolio so John where do you kind of go from here I mean you've won the game do you have anything that you're that you're trying to accomplish is there anything out there that you know big purchases that you want to make with this cash flow or what's kind of the, the the deal there
0: <laughs> and now you get to the bottom the bottom of it right so I Think. like I think there's a misperception about how you know people look for financial freedom and they they're going after some sort of a, a goal like that sometimes to earn financial freedom we have to become less materialistic that's the irony of it that's what people don't understand I am I love reading I love exercising I I those are free I we have a lake house I, I get on there and I'm, we're gonna put our pontoon in in about a month well that's kind of free too so no I don't i I would like to pursue the meaning of this Wealthy Gardener book, it's striking home uh, for a lot of people in, a, in unexpected ways. I'm getting a, a lot of letters from prisoners that are using the book for in the prison systems as, a, as an education for finances. I'm getting letters from ministers that are using it in churches. And it's a strange thing how this is evolving. So I'm not sure if that becomes the next, the next thing for me. You know, that's so- possible.
2: Let me just interrupt you. Tell us, tell us, for somebody who hasn't read it yet or isn't familiar, tell us about that book. I mean, what is it? What kind of gave you the idea? You said all the life lessons that you wanted to leave your son, but give us an overview of what, what somebody can find in there. Well,
0: basically, at The Wealthy Gardener, what, what was important to me was to be able to impact my son and drive the lessons deeper. The goal was to try to formulate a parable, a story, if you will just like a a good novelist can put a story together that actually affects us on an emotional level. That was my idea of the wealthy gardener. You know, the garden has always been a metaphor for a person's time on earth, always been attracted to that idea. You know, we, we can shape our garden if we're willing to sacrifice and we reap what we sow, those kind of things. So hopefully I created a character in the wealthy gardener that shows us how to do that. But in addition to that, my vision was to... Just encompass, imagine like all the timeless principles that we all go through in life. We all, we read a million books. We, we can't remember everything we've learned. But I imagine we could put all the timeless principles and condense them into like a volume. And then I would just throw out 70% of them and just stick with the timeless success principles that mattered most in my own life that was where it was for me because it was a long journey. And I thought that, you know, I, I know that the numbers mean a lot for finances, but I really believe that there's a philosophy and a behavior and a psychology that matters even more when it comes to financial success and beating this financial condition that we're all up against. And so I put all these timeless principles together and I outlined this book and I basically imagined the timeless story wrapped around timeless principles. And that was the whole goal, and that's what I was after. I created a book of life lessons, uh, you know, between a father and a son, and I wrapped it around the story of a wealthy gardener. And I held my breath, and it's it's been a five star Amazon thing uh, ever since. Like I said, it was a best bestseller last year. Unexpectedly, sold fifty thousand. Uh, that was unexpected, and so it's kind of taken off on an energy of its own, and. I'm seeing it's uh, I'm seeing help with people. And, you know, I was that person that was struggling once. And so I, I definitely have a soft spot for that. I, I have some empathy for the person out they struggling, that has ambition and is struggling. You know, that's that's the person.
2: Yeah. So what's your what's your advice to them, John? Somebody who's listening to this and is maybe, you know, f- connects with you how you did when you were 30 years old and they say, I want to get out of it. Or maybe they're 40. Right. And they feel like they're maybe getting a, l- a late start. What's your advice to somebody like that?
0: what's my advice is to basically first uh, take control of your mind kind of like I did at the age of 30. I mean I can speak from experience. Before 30, I was kind of uh, all over the place mentally. I wasn't sure. I wasn't singular on a goal. After 30, I knew what I wanted. And if you if you really just plot my life and you sit me against all my friends 20 years goes by for all of us what's the big difference like i'm not more talented than them we're we're equal there they're not they have just as much intelligence if not more what's the difference i mean i was thinking about wealth the whole way i was filling up my days because of my intention with the kind of things that earns wealth i would say that don't kick yourself in the butt first of all you know forgive yourself for where you are i think that's that's always been a hard one for me i always i always wanted to beat myself up for it but forgive yourself and start here And just say, okay, it's my turn to learn. You you can learn your way out of anything, and you can work your way out of anything, but you've got to sacrifice. As long as you know the sacrifice is temporary, you'll do it. I think people would sacrifice five years if they just know it's five years all out. The way way we can do it in life, between 30 and 35 for me, it was a world of difference. I was lost at 30, and I was on my way by 35. You can turn it around fast, but you've got to give your free hours plus your work hours. That's what I say.
2: Well, wow, good advice. So let me just jump into some rapid-fire questions here before you close, and I'm going to add a couple here. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? I would say mid mid to early 40s. Is there something or a couple things that you can pinpoint? Obviously, you just mentioned it with being driven and focused and intentional. Are there a couple things that you can say? Hey, that's what led to my success. Was it that work ethic and intentionality? Was it being able to find these good real estate opportunities? I believe that you can find success. In a million different avenues,
0: I think that the means to success can vary wildly, and I can only imagine what the background you you would be fantastic to talk to about that. You you interview people time after time, and I'm sure you don't see commonality among how we do it. But I think there's certain principles. That's why I wrote a book on that. It's like the philosophies. There's a, there's principles that uh, that do matter, like absolute faith. Abs. Yeah, yeah. That's check that one off. Listen to your inner voice at times. Yeah, check that off. But don't listen to it too much. You know, keep it in check with your logical self. Yeah, check that off. Look at your schedule. Absolutely. You know what? You if you want to use your full potential, look at your schedule. Show me your schedule, and I'll show you your future. Your schedule. So there's like a number of things like that. That just it's almost like a puzzle, and there's just not one key. You know, it's you can drop the ball in certain areas.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I want to ask you, I'm just kind of looking through this list of rapid fire questions, but I, I came across this other question and it's something that we, we often get asked and I think you'd be someone uh, good to talk about. A lot of people here, a lot of the the millionaires that we interview where both of the spouses are working. Right, and they're able to really build up their income quickly, <laughs> and, and make a lot. And you mentioned that your wife was a stay-at-home mom, right? Correct. But obviously, you were still able to get to well over five million dollars and climbing. I guess the inside of that decision—and was it a financial decision? Was it a family decision? Did you think, hey, maybe she should work a few more years so we can build it up? Or any any no. advice you could share there?
0: Yeah, no, she—I I, give her that ability. You know, I I don't know, when I when I got married, I can remember when I'm twenty four years old, I, I had a big dream for my life. That dream included my wife. And so I just felt like, yeah, I could I can do this, you know, and I can I can make this happen. I think she then reciprocated by allowing me to work like a mule, you know, I, it takes a lot of sacrifice and it takes a lot of time where you have to sit down with your spouse and I think you have to communicate a lot. People always talk about you're a workaholic. Yeah, well, that's called sacrifice and it used to be called a virtue, you know, it's the, you're out of balance. Yeah, that's called contributing and, and actually going for the things that might help your family. But you gotta talk to your family about those things. And so I, if I did anything right there, I would say that I, I always included her. She knew my fears, as did my children. They knew my fears. They knew my, my intentions. They knew what, what was possible to go wrong in my life and why I was sacrificing. They, I included them so that my life became an education for my kids. And my wife had sympathy toward what I was doing because she understood exactly why I was getting home at 10 o'clock sometimes, or taking off on a Sunday morning to go check out a rental. So we worked as a team that way. You know, she gave and she gave a lot, and I gave a lot, so to get where we are.
2: No, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. And it's kind of an odd question, but one that comes up a lot. So, so thank you. Yeah. Has, has all this success and, and, you know, fortune, I guess, right over $5 million, has it affected your happiness levels, your confidence levels? Has it changed you as a person at all? No,
0: you know what? You have to be successful before you get the money. To be honest with you, that's how you get it. Like you, it's a delayed reaction. You know, the wealth comes from you being confident earlier on in your life. There's a lag to this kind of stuff, so you have to be performing effectively. You have to be confident there. Uh, so that's a whole one question, right? Do you, in terms of how how am I as a performer, or how do I feel confident-wise? No. Do I feel happier with the money? Yes, absolutely. 100% yes and the reason is i don't have to worry people always say money won't have make you happy well it can buy you a worry free day one after the other and i can tell you i love the fact that if i don't want to, if i'm burned out tomorrow I can just take my walk for a dog, my my walk for a dog. (laughs) You're burned out. (laughs) I can take my dog for a walk. (laughs) Where am I? Uh, So, yeah, absolutely. The the freedom. Yeah, that makes you happier. Absolutely. My my daughter has to go back to medical school. Can I help her? Yes. Does that make me happy? Absolutely. It makes me happy. It makes me so gratified. I sacrificed those years. So, yeah, money can make you happy. I don't want to hear it from other people.
2: Do your friends and, and obviously your immediate your family does, does your extended family, if you have any or your friends, do they know about your wealth? Uh, probably not until I wrote this book. I was a real under the radar guy, right? <laughs> you know, I
0: I was telling you guys I li- I love my accountant. I love my accountant because he's the only guy who ever knew. Like, if you're doing this right, the world doesn't see it. You know, I'm the I'm the typical millionaire next door kind of guy. You know, I'm minding my own business. I have good friends, but no, you don't include them in that because you're earning more than them and you're doing things that would make them uncomfortable. So you you respect that and. But, man, I'd, I'd show up with my account, and I was like, my, my wife thinks I'm nuts. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so excited because that person gets to see what I'm doing. It's like, that's my report card now. You know, It's like, finally, somebody sees this. But, no, right. if, you do, if you're doing it right, it's invisible. That's so
2: what I th- say. So this is the guy that does your taxes, I assume. I'm just curious. How much do you yeah. pay for your taxes? Jeez. Uh, you know, who's who's listening here? Yeah,
0: I can tell you this. The One of the greatest things about real estate – one of the greatest things is, is the tax, the tax write-offs that you do get. Uh, so it's certainly a low. I'll say this: it's a low, low bracket because of, because of you know, depreciation is a fantastic invisible force in this world. Yeah, I love depreciation.
2: Okay, let me ask you a couple more here. Most expensive car that you've ever purchased? <laughs> I'm driving it
0: right now. Uh, Twenty-five thousand dollar white Jeep Grand Cherokee.
2: Okay. Any, uh, just in in closing here, any mistakes you've made or any, any final words of advice in closing, you know, obviously a great book out there with lots of advice. Any last piece that you'd want to share?
0: You know, I, I, my life wasn't the story of like the bankruptcy that came back from it. Uh, I was just, I was the guy with the family who, who just lived and plotted forward, lived a consistent life, did things consistently right. You know, of course, you make mistakes here and there with, uh, with an investment, but those aren't the kind of things you're talking about. I would say that if if I look back over my life and I have any regret whatsoever, I would say that I worried too much. Even though I, it was my job to have confidence, I just worried. I was always in, in a state of fear. There was always a, a trepidation that it might not work. And you know, that, that just steals joy from your life. You know, it's somehow you have to, you have to find the balance between going after what you want. And finding peace where you are, like that's that's a that's a certain balance. And I would say sometimes maybe I drove too hard, and uh, that's that's my mistake, not not at some sort of calamity through finance, but more of a philosophical mistake where I.
2: It's it's hard though, John, right? Because you're young and you you worry that you can't make it. You worry that you're not going to get to where you want to be. You worry you won't have enough. You know, h- h- how do you overcome that when well, you're not to where you're at? That's exactly it. See, and that's that's me busting my ass looking
0: backwards, right? So I'm at fifty. I made it. I'm saying, you know, you you really should have uh, enjoyed the roses along the way. Well, okay. <laughs> Guess what? I was I was in a lot of debt back there when I was sit, standing beside those roses. You know, then there's you never know how it's gonna work out. You know, do you ever see Steve Jobs in a Stanford address, you know, the and he talks about how all right. yep, it, it yep. all makes sense looking backwards. The dots all add up then, and man, it's so true. But yeah, still, I do think that you can live your life without fear. It's your job too, you know. You shouldn't be a a, a little boat on the waves, and so that's what yeah. I would do differently.
2: Wow, great advice. So, and just lastly, here you had two hundred thousand in student loans. How long did it take you to pay it off?
0: You know, thirty four, thirty three, and and let me answer that in a in a more in a more uh revealing way probably around the age of 33 and so the way i look at it we talk about opportunity costs in life i was broke at the age of 18 i was back to broke at 33 you guys are the accountants how many years is that so 18 to 23 so 15 years it took me 15 years to get back to being broke from the age of because i was broke at 18 and i went through all those years getting myself in debt getting myself out of debt you know that kind of stuff so yeah, that was the opportunity cost of college um, for me, but that college did earn money.
2: Well, pretty pretty amazing story, John. Thanks so much for coming on. We're so appreciative of your time. We've taken enough of it tonight. So thanks again, everybody. That's John Networth of over $5, 000, to be exact. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. Thanks,
1: John. Thanks for listening to The Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.